Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. This morning's moment with our judge uh, is found in Judges chapters 4 and 5. And so we're not going to read from that during the message, but if you want to follow along at all, you are welcome to do that. This one's a little bit different because this judge's story is actually from the two different chapters. In chapter 4, you're going to see is, is the narrative, the story of this judge and the story of Israel in this moment. Chapter 5, you're going to see is more like the, uh, I think it's called a ballad. It's more like the song or the poem, the verse that Deborah and others may sing about this moment. And actually, fills in kind of some of the details. And if you're thinking to yourself like, oh, there's like a story and a song. This is like a Disney, this is like a Disney moment in the Bible. What you're going to find as we get to the end of the story, definitely not a Disney story. Just putting that out there. Definitely like there's no like carpet ride. Anyone singing, I can show you the world. Yeah, that's not happening in this moment, just so you're prepared for that. But, but it's pretty awesome. And so follow along. And this is a fantastic story about our faith and just really shows us what God can do for each and every one of us. And so as we start this moment in history, we find Israel in kind of the same moment we are going to see each and every time we're introduced to one of the judges. And so what we see is is that Israel has strayed from God. They've done evil in God's eyes. That's how scripture says it. They've done evil in God's eyes and they find themselves under the control again of a neighboring nation, this time the Canaanites, the people of Canaan, and it's specifically a king named Jabin, and even more so, which I think is even more intimidating, it's the, the narrative of this moment, it's the story, it's the great big, big obstacle. They find themselves under the command of a military commander named Sisera, who is the person who's, who's in charge of this area for Canaan. And so Sisera is the military commander who had 900 iron chariots at his command. This was not a good time to be an Israelite. They were cruelly oppressed. They were crying out to God for help. Scripture says they were in this situation for 20 years, and so their cry at this point had become incredibly real. You have to wonder, have you ever cried out for something Something for a really long time, something that you really felt like you needed. And maybe that cry was to God, maybe that cry was to your parents, maybe that cry was to a boss or someone else in your world or in your life, but you cried out and you wanted something, but the response that you got wasn't exactly what you were really wanting it to be. For example, I've shared this before, but as a parent, my number one role in life, I find I have one main real true role in this world as a parent, and that is to be a provider of snacks. That is my number one job. It's just like that's what's expected of me. And it is amazing every day when I walk into the house from work, from wherever, I can get into the house and give it 1.5 seconds. 1.5 seconds, and one of our three kids will be there asking for a snack. Like, Daddy, can you get me a snack? And it's like my number one job. And it's amazing how every time it is like life or death snack is needed in that moment, right? Like, like they are somehow 
famished, even though they probably had a snack about seven minutes ago. Somehow, this is desperation mode, and they need that snack. And they have dreams of what the answer to that snack will be, right? Ice cream, fruit snacks, barbecue potato chips. I understand that one, right? Yes, I understand that desire. And my favorite, flavor-blasted goldfish. When I was a kid, we had goldfish, right? Just goldfish. But nowadays, they have flavor blasted. Doesn't that sound amazing? Like whoever came up with that genius flavor blasted. It's like it's two of the best things in the world for a kid flavor and it's been blasted. I don't even know what that means, but it's amazing. Flavor blasted goldfish. But then they're given their actual options, right? Oh, oh sure. I'll give you a snack and you can see the moment is there. Do you want an apple? Do you want some carrot sticks? How about some sugar peas? Would you like some like snap sugar peas? Would you like, would that be good for you? And weirdly enough, they're not hungry anymore. I don't know how it happens. Somehow the, the hunger has disappeared. It's amazing. How often do we ask God for something? We cry out to God for something. We are in need. My life would only be better, God, if I had this. I have this need. Only to not really get the answer, the provision, the stuff that we are looking for. The Israelites find themselves in this exact situation here in this passage. And it is a reminder that their futures, their definitions, their identity has nothing to do with what they have, nothing to do with what they do not have, but has everything to do with the strength of their faith in God. The Israelites call out to God for help, and it appears that they need help. The Canaanite army is large. They have these 900 chariots of iron. They are incredibly secure in being the force of the land, in being in control of the land. And Israel did not have a force by any means. They're up against 900 chariots. And I like to think of chariots as the tank of that day, right? The chariots are kind of the tank of that day. They were usually drawn by two horses, sometimes four horses, but usually two horses. And they would be huge, particularly these, as it said, they are fitted with iron. These are not just your run-of-the-mill chariots. These are large iron chariots. First, those, that iron would have protected their riders from any kind of danger around them. It would have been a great force, a great shield but they would be even more dangerous on attack. At times, these would be used to simply smash and trample enemy lines. That's what they would use them for, especially large iron chariots to just trample the enemy before them. At other times, chariots provided a speedy transport for archers to be on this raised platform to get close to infantry and to just decimate everyone around them. And we know that special blades were made. And in this case, it's probably true as it specifies that they're iron chariots, that they probably had these iron things sticking out the sides that would just shred any enemy as they rode through. The Israelites cry out to God for support. And and you can imagine what they're thinking, right? God, give us some of those chariot things. That would be amazing, right? We're up against 900 of them, God. Maybe Maybe we know your God. Maybe just give us 450, right? Yeah, give us like half of that God. Give us some of those chariots because that would be amazing. But as we learn from Judges 5, as we see in in Deborah's ballad in a song that, that it probably slightly romanticizes the situation, but maybe not, it still communicates the truth of the situation. The Israelite army could barely find a shield 
or a spear at this moment, let alone a single iron chariot. How often do we think that we need something in life for life to be right? There is that thing that we think would just change everything. And the truth is, we allow our life to actually be defined by not having that thing. We allow our identity to be found in what we do not have. We allow ourselves to be defined, to be held back, to be captive, or to be pigeonholed by what we do not have. It may be our dream job. It may be a certain amount of money. It may be the perfect relationship or family. It may be a certain lifestyle. We think we need, and this is everybody, right? This is me. You can fill in the blank. We think we need fill in the blank, and our life is actually defined by not having that thing. I really think this is everyone. I know for myself at many points in life, this has been me. We think to ourselves, well, if I just had a certain amount of money, then I could make life right. Like I could set everything in order. Well, if I just had the man or woman of my dreams, if I just had that perfect relationship, everything would be wonderful. We think that if if my family was a certain way, looked a certain way, then I would be happy and everything would be fine. We think, well, if I get this certain job, like there's just that job, it'll just set everything in life in order. It'll be perfect. The hours will be great. I'll be fulfilled. There's going to be the perfect amount of money. If I just had that job, everything would be wonderful. I don't know about you, but I have felt that pressure. I feel it all the time. I remember when my wife Julie and I were having children. We had our daughter Stella, and we were expecting our second child, and and family members came to us asking if we were going to be okay if we had another girl and didn't have a boy. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I didn't even think about that. What are you talking about? And then, but now all of a sudden, like, well, now I guess I am. I don't know. I didn't know that this was something that I, I needed in my life. Like, and I know there's that, you, you've probably heard the million dollar family, right? There's the million dollar family, a boy and a girl. And like, life is perfect in that situation. And I didn't even think about that option. But now all of a sudden, it's got to be true, right? I need this, this perfect package of a family for everything to be right. What does that matter? It it doesn't make sense at all, but it's there. In my career, I feel that. Well, once I get to this point, things will be perfect, right? But but the truth is, once you get to that point, there's another point. And it's like, oh no, but life would be more perfect if I was there. And then life would be more perfect if I was there. And that always happens, right? There's, There's always that other level for everyone. I feel incredibly bad for people in this world who find themselves in our culture and they are single. We have this way of making out single people to be like, oh, this is a really sad and horrible situation when the truth is, and I want the single people to hear me say this, there is nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, it is wonderful and awesome, and there should be no pressure. But for some reason, our culture tells us that we need this other person to be complete in some way. And it started with one cheesy romantic movie after another where they say, you complete me. And I want to scream at the television, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. And we don't need that, right? We don't, but we, we say, and so much of our lives are defined by not having that thing, that person, that job, whatever. 
It is so easy for our identities to be found in what we don't have, for ourselves to be defined by what isn't there. You don't need anything to be you. Let me say that again. You don't need anything to be you. You don't need anything else in this world to be valuable. You don't need anything else to matter. You don't need anything else in this world to have an identity. What you don't have doesn't define you. Your faith in your relationship with God, that does. But you don't need anything else to define you. So the Israelites, they didn't have chariots. They didn't have any special weapons. Maybe God would give them a leader that would make the difference. Well, he did, although it maybe wasn't exactly what they were looking for. The Canaanites, we find out they have a leader. We're given the impression that their commander, this this man named Sisera, was an incredible power. He had won battles. He had led them forward. He was that leader who, who had authority, was strong and confident. He is a force. Now, for the Israelites, we're introduced to two leaders, Deborah, a prophetess of God, and Barak, the man called to lead the army of Israel. First, may we recognize this. Out of these two Who is the judge here? Who is really in command? Well, we can see that clearly in Scripture. You can see that as the title probably of the passage of chapter 4, the headline there. Deborah is the judge. She is the leader. She is in command. And may we take just a moment for a side note to say that may everyone who doubts that in the Christian world, for some reason, that women, if we doubt that women can lead, lead a church, lead in this community, lead in this world, may we recognize this moment, this moment in the Old Testament in a very man-centered age and culture, God had a woman as his leader and as the leader of his people. It was a woman who was the spiritual advisor to their land, a woman who was the person who had the closest connection with God. It was a woman who sat, as this passage says, under a tree and and provided judge and leadership for the world, who made decisions between what was right and wrong in their culture, in their community, and it was a judge who led them into war. It was the woman judge who did that. May we recognize that even in that day and age, God had a woman lead. Deborah was holy, she was strong, and she was very, very secure in her faith. In fact, that is the key to this moment to the Israelites in history. She is a powerful judge. And I wonder, for those of us who believe that God can't use a woman to lead in this world, is our faith in God and what he can do stunted? Is it really a problem with what someone else can't do, or is it our faith in what God can use someone to do that is really the problem? Deborah passes this command. She is the one connected to God, and so she hears God's voice, and she hears the instructions for her people. And so she passes the command to Barak to lead the people of Israel to war, specifically to take 10,000 men and to go and to face Sisera. Barak is maybe not the leader that we think that the Israelites should have, and maybe he's not the leader that the Israelites are looking for in this moment and does not have the faith that Deborah does. And so he doubts. 
And what we find is he doesn't have experience in this, and maybe he has an experience going to war. We don't even know if he's really a, a military leader or not, and so he doubts. And, and in his doubt, he turns to Deborah and basically says, I will do this, but will you come along with me? Will you come along and make sure that everything is going to be okay? And in her incredibly st- strong faith, Deborah says that she will, but she warns Barak that he will not get the honor, the true honor of defeating Sisera from this moment. If he doesn't have the faith basically to do it alone. And he doesn't, and so she goes along. And we're told that God will find other means. So Barak and Deborah and the Israelites go to meet Sisera and the Canaanites. Now Sisera sees this happening. He gathers his army and his 900 chariots, and they go out to meet the Israelites. Sisera has to feel good about what is about to happen. He is a strong leader. He has 900 chariots of iron. 900. He has won many battles, and the only thing that could really hinder his chariots is possibly bad terrain. And they are pushing through a valley. All is shaping up. It's a valley. The terrain is perfect. Everything is shaping up for a wonderful victory for Sisera and for the Canaanites. Just as everything is looking to be perfect, it begins to rain. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained. And as Judges 5 tells us, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the very mountains quaked. Have you ever tried to use a chariot in a flood? Have you ever tried to use a chariot in mud? I, I'm asking for real because I've never ridden in a chariot before. I don't know what that's actually like, but, but okay, probably none of us have. But I can imagine that a chariot in, in a flood and in mud is not a great situation. I imagine that doesn't go over well at all. Here's the other side for us to remember. Our identity is not found in what we don't have, but it's also not found in what? In what we do have. The Canaanites had so much, so much going for them, but a heavenly change in the weather and the advantage of great leadership, the power of mighty chariots, the confidence found in iron weaponry, all of that was gone. I wonder how many of us put our identity in what we do actually have. The danger that comes with forgetting how quickly anything and everything in this world can be taken away like that. Our identity in this, we see it all the time. We place our identity in our significant other. We forget that they weren't meant to carry that burden. And and when they come up short, our identity seems to fall apart. We place our identity in our children. And and as a parent of three, I see this already happening. It's the natural thing that happens with children. And we try to stop it. We wish it wouldn't happen. It's kind of the worst thing ever. But children just naturally grow. I don't know why, but they do. They do that. It's all the snacks, right? It's all those snacks. And they, they naturally grow. And they grow up. And they leave. And if that's where our identity is, it goes along with it. We place our identity in our money, and, and guess what? That disappears. It's, it's never enough, and it, it can never really bring us what we need. We place it in stuff, in land, in materials, things that we own, and none of it retains its value. All of it loses what we once found in it. We place it in our careers, but they change so quickly. They become less fulfilling. They, they never get us where we want to be. We place it in our accomplishments, 
We wear our successes, our work, like badges of honor. But victories in the past mean little for our future. There is always a further expectation from others, from ourselves, for what will come. One thing, one thing is meant to be our identity. One thing is always with us. One thing never changes. One thing we can always count upon. And that is our God. He never changes. He is always with us. We can always count on him. It is in him that we find our identity. The Israelites were about to learn what God could do. The world was about to learn that it didn't matter what you don't have or what you do have. It matters where your faith is placed. Canaan had 900 chariots, a strong general, the perfect field for battery, battle, a recent history of victory. Israel had very light infantry, if you want to call them that. They had a timid leader. They had what seemed like a trap, and they had 20 years of oppression on their shoulders and on their hearts and on their spirits. Israel asked to be saved, and this is probably, this is definitely not what they were looking for. But Israel also had a judge in Deborah who had an incredibly strong faith. The storms came. The Israelites attacked. And the battle was over actually very quickly. Basically, the entire Canaanite army was defeated, except really for one person, we're told, was not defeated in this moment. That was Sisera, who jumped on his own chariot and fled on foot. The mighty general Sisera would flee. The man who had so much, so much going for him and so many awesome things would come across the tent of a woman named Jael. He would beg her for safety, pleading with her to hide him and, and asking her to tell no one else that he was hiding there. Jael, she was from a people related to the Israelites, but caught in the middle of the Israelites and Canaanites. And, and she was in this tough spot because it was a different people who was trying to work and trade with both of them, slightly related to the Israelites, but also recognizing Canaan had 900 chariots, okay, and recognizing that. And so trying to figure out how to be in between. And they actually talk about how they kind of moved to try to get out of the way, but somehow Sisera still found his way to those people and to her tent and in this moment, when he flees to her, she would see an opportunity. She hid Cicero away somewhere warm, somewhere cozy. And in his thirst, he would ask her for water. She would give him milk or something more like yogurt. The Bible actually talks about curds being in there. I don't really know. It doesn't sound tasty to me. It's not my thing. But that's what she would give him, something that probably weighed very warm and heavy on his stomach, right and so feeling that heaviness, feeling warm, and being tired, being exhausted, sleep would quickly overcome him. And as I warned you, this is not a Disney story, right? This is not. And so in, in wonderful Old Testament fashion, Jael, who, who was very familiar with setting up her tent all the time on her own, in fact, in her culture, she would have been in charge of doing that. She found herself a tent peg and a hammer which she was very familiar with using. And she would take the honor of sealing Sisera's fate. You can read that for yourself if you would like to. And in this moment, the world would know of Deborah. They would know of her faith. 
And we find that Deborah would be spoken about not just for the next 10 years, not for the next 100, but for the next thousands of years, her faith and the story of her faith would live on. And she would bring her people of Israel 40 years of peace. I don't know about you, but, but I know that I need this reminder, and I need this reminder all the time. When it comes to my identity, it is so easy to undervalue it because of the things that I don't have. What can I do to make a difference? Why do I matter? I have nothing. Who am I? I have so little to contribute. I don't have this or that. I don't have the relationships that matter. No one must see value in me. It is also easy to fall into the habit of leaning upon what I do have to be proud of what I've done and to simply depend upon my own accomplishments or to be happy with what I have and to find myself stuck in this moment, forgetting what could be, missing out on where God could take me, never living up to God's potential. I want to encourage you to remember this as I seek to as well. What you don't have isn't stopping you. What you don't have in this world isn't stopping you. What you do have won't get you where you need to go, but your faith in God will. Your faith in God will. Another way of saying it is like this. If you put your faith in God, you don't need anything else in life, and there is no pressure upon what you do have because that's not what counts. God will answer. He always does. There's a part of me that looks at this moment and I, I wonder. I see the Israelites cry out for 20 years waiting for God to answer. What I've recognized is that he didn't wait 20 years to answer, did he? He didn't wait 15 years. He didn't wait 10 years. He didn't wait 5 years. He didn't even wait a year. The answer for the Israelites was always right there. Everything that they needed to be freed of this situation was right there. It just took an incredible person in Deborah who had the right faith to say, God, I believe, and to step forward in life, to step forward in God and to face what would come, to recognize 900 iron chariots mean nothing to the God who created the heavens and the earth. As I prepared this message, the thing that kept weighing on my heart was this thought for us. I don't want to allow any of us to be held back in life. Something inside us saying, I don't have enough. You feel God's pull. You know there is a next step. You know there is something you can do for your own life, for someone else's, for this church, for this community, and you say, I don't have it. The truth is, right now, in this moment, if God is calling you, is pulling on you to do something, you have everything you need everything you need. What you do have, what you don't have, it doesn't matter. What matters is finding your identity and your faith in God. Would you join me in a word of prayer? 
Father in heaven, God above, I thank you, God, for your love. God, I thank you for your grace and your care for us. I thank you that you really are invested in our lives. And so, God, I ask that you would help each and every one of us to be reminded of just how powerful you are. May we lock away the words of Psalm 46 that tells us, God, that you are just in control and your strength is immeasurable. May we remember that, God, and may we step forward in that. God, I don't know for each and every one of us here what is the burden on our heart. It may be a broken relationship, maybe a step forward for our family, maybe an opportunity to help and care and provide for someone else. It may be to take a step in life of faith. It may be to build into this church and this community. God, I don't know what it is, but God, I ask that you would help us to recognize that right now in this moment, we are enough. We are enough and we have everything that we need. We simply have to place our faith, our identity in you. God, may for each and every one of us, our identity not be found in what we don't have. Take that away from us, God. And God, may we not be overconfident in what we do have. May we not lean on our own resources because God, that limits us as well. May our faith be wonderfully placed in you. May we recognize all that you have and all that you can do. May we, as Deborah, step out for you confidently in this world. Bless us now, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship this morning?